Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. This is episode number 17. We post new episodes every week, so make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Joining me today is Mo DeKeel, who previously worked as a video coordinator for the LA Clippers and San Antonio Spurs. Now he's a writer for Bleach Report and a podcaster for The Athletic. He's a co-host on the podcast Nerder She Wrote. Make sure you're following Mo on Twitter at Mo DeKeel underscore NBA. Mo, thanks for joining me. How are you? Oh, I'm doing as well as anybody else can do in these situations. Uh, thank you for having me, man. No, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. We're going to get to your thoughts on different teams and players here in a second, but I want to start by talking about your career because you've had an interesting journey. You know, before you were writing for Bleach Report and podcasting with The Athletic, and before you founded the jumpball.net, you were a video coordinator for the LA Clippers and the San Antonio Spurs. So I wanted to ask you, I always talk to people who want to work for NBA teams and they're not sure what path to take or where to get started. What advice would you give to someone that wants to work in a front office or as a video coordinator? Uh, You know, what would be the first steps that they could take? You know, I get asked that question a lot, Alex. And the, the biggest thing is just get basketball experience. You know, look, when I was starting out before I ended up in the NBA, I was in junior college as a student manager, you know, and, and, and slowly was just building my, my opportunities from there. And, and it wasn't even then, like, wasn't my goal to be, I'm going to be involved in the NBA in some way, you know, at the time it was a hobby and it ended up just kind of falling into it. But, you know, I transferred to UC Irvine was a, a manager there actually transferred from UC Irvine to USC and was a manager there. So just kind of adding basketball stuff, to your resume is a big deal. Like I get a lot of people who don't have any experience in basketball on their resume, but want to go work for an NBA team. Well, you know, it's, it's hard to get that, you know, with, with no experience. So, you know, go work at a, your local high school. I know now is a little bit different with the pandemic and stuff, but once we're almost at normal times, you know, go volunteer at your high school, go, you know, help. there's always a team somewhere that could use an extra hand. And, you know, it's, I know it's not the, the, the best thing, but sometimes it's, you got to volunteer. Sometimes you got to just kind of take these odd jobs. I worked a ton of basketball camps, you know, and I hate, hate working basketball camps, you know, but that's something you got to do and, 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 and just kind of continue to sort of build the, build your basketball experience up. So that would be the, the most critical thing. I think anybody who's trying to get in is you got to get some basketball experience on your resume. Yeah, it's similar where I tell people that want to work in sports writing in the media, you know, just go out there and write. And there's going to be times where you're grinding and working for free, unfortunately, or cheap. But you have to just get reps in and kind of develop that, uh, you know, build up your resume, develop a portfolio, that kind of thing. So, yeah, same thing. Just get started. Do something. Um, What are the biggest misconceptions about working for an NBA team? Because I feel like it's one of those sexy jobs that everyone dreams about when they're a kid, but they don't actually know what it entails. What are some misconceptions? Yeah, it's a ton of work. You know, like, especially the video room, it's, you're constantly in there. I was usually the first in the uh, facility early in the mornings, and I was usually one of the last to leave. And if I wasn't one of the last to leave, it was one of my colleagues or interns, you know, who who, who were leaving last, you know, it's, it's, it's a grind, you know, and it's awesome. And there's a lot of great perks with it, but it's hard, you know, and when you're in season, there's not a lot of free time. There's not a lot of opportunities where you get to chill and relax and have kind of a, a moment for yourself or even just a social life, you know? So I think that's kind of one of the bigger misconceptions is like, it's just like a, a, a chill job. Cause 
you know, when when you're you're grinding constantly, even when the team has a day off, there's still games going. And if you're a video coordinator, you're working on those games, you know, and things like that or, or preparing for the draft or other projects that are being asked of you and stuff like that. It's just the grind of it is something I don't think people see a lot. And I think that's a, a big part of the job that most people don't understand. Yeah, I've talked to coaches and scouts and executives, and they basically say, like, when you enter this thing, you better be single. Uh, don't expect to have much of a social life. <laughs> yeah, it's-, it's brutal. You know, you got to You got to If and if you're going to be in a relationship, it's got to be somebody that understands that, like, hey, this is this is the situation. You yeah. know, like there's going to be times where I'm going to have a situation where I got to drop everything and run to the office to handle something, you know, and it, it it's not the most fun uh scenario it's not fun i can imagine being the other side of the relationship you know i've missed so many birthdays and weddings and 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 parties and celebrations just because it would happen during the nba season and i would just be like sorry guys i can't i can't make it yeah absolutely what was it like for you making the transition from the team side to the media side it was interesting because it wasn't really it wasn't an immediate flip you know i i took a i picked up a regular job before i started kind of really diving into the media aspect of it but you know the the thing i like about the media side of it is i'm able to view everything kind of in a larger zoomed out view like when you're working with a team like all your focus is on your team you know and and who we're playing next and whatnot i mean there'd be times where people would ask me about other teams and i'd be like i haven't seen them play in two months because uh, I just because, you know, they're not on our schedule for a while or, or and just haven't happened to see them. It's been always just the focus of getting that stuff done. And then, you know, the media aspect of it was really just learning the new industry. You know, you you started out by saying, you know, how you suggest to writers, you know, you just got to go out there and write. I mean, that's how I started, you know, was. I just went and started the jump net and slowly started to grow and, and, and slowly starting to build momentum and, and figuring out how to use Twitter. And when I mean, not just, you know, the, the basics, but like the, the etiquette of it, the, what do you, you know, when you tag somebody, when you don't tag somebody and, and all of those small things that you kind of just learn the nuances. So, you know, it, it, it's a different landscape in that sense. And now I'm kind of, you, you, getting more of a feel for it on the media side. I, I enjoy it. I, I, I really do. So what was the job you were working between the team side and the media side? I didn't realize that you had another job. I was a uh, tech recruiter um, and I wasn't a good one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was a, it, it was a good change of uh, pace. It challenged me a lot, a lot of cold calling and stuff, but uh, ultimately it's, you know, I just wasn't very good at it. And, and that wasn't something I would be uh, uh, able to feel like I would have a ton of success with it in the long run. And I just didn't like it. What are some things that you learned on the team side, especially, you know, you mentioned working crazy hours, you're breaking down film all day, you're breaking down different teams. And I mean, now you can find that's basically what you're doing on the media side, you're teaching fans. And I feel like today's fans, they want to be educated, they want to learn more about the X's and O's, they want to learn more about I hope salary. so, Alex. I hope so. That's my basis of this. <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of banking on that. Um, no, but I've been very I mean, I, even in the last five, 10 years, I've seen like, not it's not even just the X's and O's, but also Fans want to know the salary cap rules and the collective bargaining agreement mm-hmm. and 
you know, today's fans are much more intelligent. Today's journalists are much more intelligent. I remember talking to Larry Kuhn and he was saying when he first started, you know, they knew the media knew nothing about the CBA and they were just putting things out there. And this is wall covering a lockout at times. And then, you know, you just had the few people that kind of made it their specialty. But I feel like the coverage has gotten so much better. Obviously, the Internet and the resources are a big part of that because, you know, all this information is at our fingertips, whether you're media or a fan. Uh, but I was going to ask, you, you know, what, what did you kind of learn on the team side that helped you? on the media side. And I guess the fact that you're doing some of the same things does help, but what are some of those lessons that you learned that translated? I think just part of it was, is, is keeping it simple, you know, even on the, the, the team side, you know, like the teams run complicated schemes and things like that, but all of that's broken down in a way that it's fairly simple to the guys. And I think that's something I learned. And the other thing too was, man, don't hit people over the head with it. You know, like I, I try to keep videos, you know, when I do my, my one mo thing videos, it's, it's literally like my goal is two minutes and I go over, it. it's usually about two fifteen. but my goal and the sweet spot I want is two minutes. I just want to get in, hit you with one point and get out. And I think sometimes, you know, like I've been on staffs where the film room and the, the video sessions were forever like, you know, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. And at a certain point you lose guys. Hell, you lost me half the time, you know, like it wasn't, it's just a, the ability to keep that people engaged that long. And so I think the, the, the biggest thing I took, took away from it was just keeping it simple and just make your one point and then move on, you know? And I think that's kind of something I try to do uh, with the media side with, with almost all of my content. No, absolutely. So one more question about your career, then we'll transition over to this season and kind of some of your observations. But um, you worked, I mentioned, for the Clippers and the Spurs. What were some of the differences between those two organizations and how did your experiences vary from one organization to the other? Yeah, and and we should be clear too. Like I worked for the Donald Sterling Clippers, so it's a little bit that there's been a massive change in that organization since I was gone. But I went from the Clippers to the Spurs and back to the Clippers. And I'll just tell you, it was night and day going from the Clippers to the Spurs, you know, in terms of organization, from resources, from everybody pulling in the same direction. It was very clear to me that the the San Antonio Spurs whole system, top down, everybody was involved. Everybody had high expectations of of. of not just of yourself, of, of of what I could do, but of what everybody can do, and of themselves, and 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 you were expected to meet those things. And if you weren't, it's it, you know they're going to find somebody else who can. Be, but at the same time, they just went so far and beyond taking care of all of their employees. It was really interesting, and it's not to take a shot at the Clippers in that sense. It was just you know we weren't run by a great owner, you know, and Donald Sterling for obvious reasons and, and things. But he didn't pour a ton of money into it. It was a challenge to get equipment we needed and things like that. And that's a normal thing even now with some other organizations. And that's the challenge. And that's why ownership is really the most important thing for every team. You know, like when you look at successful teams, you know, most of them have an owner that's investing in the team, has good ownership, will put money into it, will will work. And and, and there's different owner types. Some are more involved in the day-to-day like Mark Cuban and some are very hands-off like Peter Holt. It's not a right or wrong scenario, but they're involved in one way or another. And they they allow those who they hire to kind of, you know, do their jobs. And I think that's kind of the the biggest difference. And with the Clippers, you know, we were very tight as a family 
you know, like the coaching staffs and we were tight with everybody. And, and even when I came back with, you know, coach Del Negro running the ship, it was, everybody was close and, and together, but it, we, we just were so hamstrung by our, by our resources because our ownership necessarily wasn't always as willing to, to make it easier for us. Yeah. That's a great point. Cause I feel like maybe fans, because they don't see behind the scenes, they don't understand just how important ownership is. And you know, I've talked to executives about it and they're like, yeah, the hardest part of my job isn't trying to, you know, negotiate trades or recruit a free agent is trying to sell my owner on these moves and get them to spend money and pour in the resources. You know, for some of these organizations, that's a really big challenge. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, there are times where I've had to make edits that are specifically just for the owner. And it's, you know, and it's not the normal video coordinator edit where I try to make a balanced thing. We're trying to just get the owner excited about a player. So it's like right. a highlight tape, you know, or whatever. Like it, there, there are, there, there were instances of that, you know, and that is a big thing, you know, that those team execs are saying is sometimes they got to sell the owner, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, they might get all the way to the finish line on a trade, but they got to convince the owner that this is worth doing. And that's part of the job and, and, and managing your owner is part of the deal. And I think that's such a big part that a lot of fans don't fully understand. Yeah, because then they blame the executive. Like, why didn't they make this move? And the executive right. maybe pulling his hair out. Like, I wanted to, and I couldn't. I, 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 I didn't have the ability to. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so, I want to start by asking you, in the Eastern Conference, let's start with the East, I guess. Um, which teams do you have as legitimate championship contenders this year? And if you had to have, like, tiers ranking who's actually able to win it all this year, what would your tiers look like in the East? I mean, the East is just wide open to me. Like, that's kind of the hardest thing about, you know, I, was, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine. I, the the East, I could see five teams making it to the finals. And what sucks is I feel like I'm repeating myself because this was the same thing last year. You know, I felt like it was wide open then too. You know, I, I can see a scenario, you know, the tops in the East for me is, you know, I think you got to look at Philadelphia and how they're playing, even though they took a loss to Portland the other day. You know, and 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 a bad loss, but ultimately, I think they just they're on a different track than what they've been in the years past. I think you know, obviously, Brooklyn with with those three guys, the the new big three that they have, you know, are always going to be potent and, and and gonna have a shot at it. I don't discount Milwaukee, even though they've kind of record wise haven't looked great, but I think they've just been experimenting with things, and and I think we'll see a run from them. So just really, the, those are probably the top three in the East for me. But, you know, I, you can make an argument in a case for, you know, Boston to make a run at it, you know, and, and, and I could see that happening if those guys get hot and find the right rhythm. So, you know, but really at the end of the day, Philly, Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee are probably the top three. Yeah, right now I think I have it Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. And I know some people are predicting that Brooklyn can win it all this year. I just have my doubts. I feel like this is the hardest year to try to, you know, implement three focal points and get them on the same page. Not only... Yeah. Just, you know, uh, the fact that it's happening midseason and we can talk about their defensive issues and all that, too. But just the circumstances surrounding this team, it's Steve Nash's first time as a as a head coach, as a coach. And then not only that, but, um, you know, these guys, there, there's the condensed schedule. There's very limited practice time. I know some teams aren't even doing like walkthroughs on the mornings of game days. Uh, everyone's having to adjust because of this schedule. And then also guys can't see each other off the floor like they would in a normal year where guys aren't going out to eat every night and at each other's houses right. and hanging out. So even some of the off-court bonding is impacted because of the COVID rules and protocols. So I feel like this is the hardest time for the Nets to be trying to make this kind of uh, adjustment and go through this kind of period. So 
the way I've been kind of looking at it is Brooklyn needs to use this year to get everyone on the same page and figure things out and kind of prep for next year. Almost like the Clippers last year. Everyone wanted to crown the Clippers last year and say, oh, they're going to be able to win it all. But they needed that year to kind of develop chemistry and get on the same page. And then this offseason is going to be huge for the Nets too, being able to make, you know, address some of those issues defensively and front court depth and all that. And then next year is when I look at Brooklyn and think, oh, okay, that's when they could be really scary, you know, depending on what they're able to add and, uh, and all that. So that's kind of the way I've been looking at it, but I know some people believe they could win it all this year just because of that talent and how good they are on paper. You know, when you look at this Nets team, what, 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 you, what are your expectations for them this season? Yeah, I mean, everything you said is right on, and I've kind of said the same thing. I think, you know, they're going to be better next year than this year just because of the fact that it's hard to incorporate a big piece this season with everything you said, pr- limited practice time and all, all all of that. So saving us from repeating us, that is else. I, what I expect to see is what we're seeing, a super explosive offense and a pretty bad defense. And, you know, everybody's – this is this is the common thing we see on Twitter – during a Nets game, it's like, yeah, but if the Nets can just get enough stops, you know, can they get enough stops down the stretch? And, you know, you look at the Clipper game and you say, yeah, see, they were able to get those stops. I thought the Clippers played a really bad game, that offensive strategy that game. You know, I, I also don't think the Clippers are the type of team that can take advantage of the Nets in terms of, you know, they don't have the size and the scoring and the paint that would really hurt the Nets. But the ultimate thing for me for Brooklyn is it's going to be about the playoffs. Because, you know, for everything everybody's talking about, like, how do you stop this offense? There's your teams that are going to be able to lock in in the playoffs. And I'm not talking about the first round opponent because odds are they're going to play a, a low level first round opponent. And that should be a, a easy series for them. But in the second round and then in the conference finals, they're going to play teams that are really have their own defensive schemes and systems. And when they're able to kind of game plan for those guys, it becomes a different story. And then they're able to. T- find ways to kind of break that stuff up for the the Nets. It's hard to do that game to game in season. You know, the regular season's kind of like build your philosophy. Playoffs is 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 almost like the NFL one. Okay, let's dissect this team and break this team down. So, I'll be very fascinated to see what how it works for them in the the playoffs because I just don't think they have the defense. I don't think they have the, the enough defensive versatility even. I don't think they have the ability to to change stuff on the fly. And then it gets harder with the first time ever NBA head coach and and Steve Nash as great as he is and all the accolades. It's a challenge, you know, and the playoffs are a whole different deal and that's going to be a new experience for him. So I just think it'll be a interesting thing for me, but at the end of the day too, Alex, like, they do have three of the top 25 players right. in the NBA. Like, to be it is, clear, it is a ch- it's not easy. Yeah, it doesn't feel good being on this side, betting against them and saying right. that they're not going to make it work. <laughs> I do have to say that. It definitely does not feel good to be betting against them. And uh, I could look very stupid uh, by the end of the season. We shall see. Um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. And, and Sean Marks has said that they're going to be aggressive still in the buyout market, the trade market. Now, I don't know what trade chips they really have to make a big move. I mean, it's probably going to be more of a minor move. They hope they can bring someone that's a defensive specialist or something like that. But, you know, we'll see what they do. Um, I want to talk about the Sixers, though, because uh, I've been so impressed with this team. You know, Embiid is playing out of his mind. When he's been on, he's been just so dominant, and he's impacting the game just in so many different ways on both ends of the floor. Um, And he's obviously been great for several years now. But, you know, this is the year where I think he could potentially win MVP uh, if if he's able to keep this up. We shall see. But what are your thoughts on – 
one thing I look when I look at the Sixers team, I love their offseason, the fact that they added Seth Curry. Now he's been struggling a bit recently. Uh, I don't know if it's the conditioning coming back from COVID and all that, but I mean, he's just perfect for this team when he's playing well. Um, I love the Danny Green move as well. I felt like, you know, they did kind of all the right things in the offseason and provide spacing and I like the direction that they're headed. And I agree with you. You know, if we see Philly and Brooklyn running each other in the playoffs, then I don't know what Brooklyn's going to do about Embiid. So they're one of those teams that can make them pay down low. So what are your thoughts on the Sixers team? And do you think they have a legitimate shot to beat a team like the Lakers or Clippers that come out of the Western Conference potentially? Yeah, I think they definitely do. I don't think this is a this is a Philly team we've seen of years past. You know, I feel like they're more together. And I think a big part of it, and you touched on it, was, you know, a lot of the changes they made in the offseason. Look, they built a roster that made sense. And 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 I was one of the ones who got caught up in it last year thinking like, oh, they're going to have the best defense ever with these, you know, with Horford, with Embiid, with Simmons and things like that. And then it just kind of, and, and kind of went against my own normal thought process, which is like, this just doesn't make sense. The fit isn't right. And I think this year, the fit looks much better, much smoother. And the one guy you haven't even mentioned in the in, in, in your run-up was Tobias Harris. Yeah. And and he's been balling. And and some of that has to do with his best basketball has been under Doc Rivers. Yep. And now it's kind of continuing with with the Sixers. And he has kind of a better understanding of where to be and 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 how to flow and things. So, you know, and if he's gonna score the way he is, they don't need Ben Simmons to be an 18, 19 point scorer. They it'd be nice. But like it's not the end all be all for them. They'll able they're able to use Simmons and, and and get other things out of it. And I just think, you know, when I look at this team, it's hard. Embiid's a tough cover for everybody. You know, he took on the Lakers recently and 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 beat them, you know, and 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 Gasol had a hard time, you know, and and you know, uh, AD had to guard him some. And he just gets you in foul trouble. He puts so much pressure on your your team that you end up in the bonus much earlier. And and that's an important aspect for teams that it gets them to the free throw line a lot more and, and, and a lot quicker. And at the end of the day, I, I think they can compete with anybody. Now they need to make sure they're hitting shots. So like once, you know, they need Seth Curry to kind of get going and you're right. I think some of it's uh, uh, coming back from COVID and, and, and getting your win back. You know, Danny green has that, you know, he, he's super hot and super cold. It's, it's very streaky. <laughs> they need to make sure he stays hot as long as they can and, and, and kind of continue to keep, Keep this going, but I like what they're building there, and then they're playing defense, and they got a good kind of thing going offensively, and they're playing it, and they're running it all through Embiid, and it's working out for them. Yeah, and if we know anything, it's that Daryl Morey is very aggressive when it comes to the trade market. So it's very possible that we could see them try to add some more pieces to, you know, before the trade deadline. Daryl is always looking to make moves and always on the phone. So it's very possible we could see them uh, add some more. So we shall see there. Uh, let's go out west now. Similar to what I asked you about the Eastern Conference and which teams are legitimate contenders, what do your tiers look like among the Western Conference contenders? Lakers one, and, and then everybody else. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it really, it really does look that way. And you know, we're talking just right. You know, the 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 day after the the Lakers beat Denver pretty handily, and it was an impressive way in which they did it. It was a 15-0 run you know, towards the end of the third quarter that kind of just blew the game open for them. And, you know, look, the Lakers have that ability to do it with their offense and with their defense, you know, and and, and the key thing in that run was their defense really kind of keyed it all going and got it all started. And it was active hands. They were moving, forcing turnovers, then getting out in transition and getting easy looks. You know, they're, they're kind of, I don't want to say sleepwalking through the season, but like, 
you can tell it's not like they're giving their all every game for 48 right. minutes. That's like, the scary that was, part. <laughs> that's the thing. Like last year they were. Last year they were, you know, there was a much more engaged, you know, every game, every play kind of deal. This year they're kind of picking their spots. And when they pick their spots, they go. And you can see the games when they really want to go in. Like they played really hard in that Philly game that they lost, but they were in it and and, and really pushing for it. And I just think they're just above everybody you know, in the West to another level. I think just I, behind them is the Clippers. I think the Clippers have what, you, you know, a, a, a much better chemistry than last season and much more fluidity and feel more comfortable with each other. But there are things about this team that really kind of bothers me. They don't get enough scoring in the paint. They don't get enough free throws. They don't get a lot of transition points. And those are easy baskets. And, and for me, it's everything they get on offense just seems hard. You know, and, and, yeah. and like they really have to work for it and, and they're good and they can knock down these shots. But it's just like, man, can we just get a, like 10 easy points? You know, and, and, and I think we saw that in the Brooklyn game and, you know, just they're desperately needing of another of a, a point guard that can really just set the table. You know, I kind of refer to these guys as table setters and, and, and a table setter is a guy that kind of sets the table, but doesn't take that much doesn't need to eat as much, doesn't need to take much off of it for himself. So I think that's something they need to look forward to. And I think that makes them, you know, kind of second, but because they're just right there. And then behind them is Utah has been great, man. I mean, they've been on fire and, and, and this is the team we thought last year that was going to be a dark horse contender. And I think those are probably the top three teams in the, in the West and, and, and Denver kind of streaking behind a little bit. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I have it Lakers, then Clippers, uh, you know, on their own two separate tiers. And I think I have Utah and Denver one tier below, but it's pretty close. And yeah, with the Clippers, I, I feel the exact same way. You know, their offseason additions have been have been great. Nick Batum is playing excellent. I, I On the broadcast the other day, they were saying that he didn't expect to be signed by an NBA team whenever he was bought out. And that just, that blows my mind. That tells you where his confidence was at right. after everything that happened in Charlotte. And I think, you know, so for some of these guys, when they're labeled overpaid and washed and all that stuff by fans, they believe that's the perception of them now. Instead, he saw, you know, 15 teams pursue him and the Clippers are now starting him and, you know, playing him in a big way. And he it's been a really cool story kind of watching him uh, become a significant contributor there. And the role for him is perfect there. You know, Serge Ibaka has been great for them. So I, I like what the Clippers did. But, yeah, I mean, it's just so hard when the Lakers are doing what the Lakers are doing. Uh, I don't know how they can necessarily uh, compete. Now, I do think those two teams probably face off in the Western Conference Finals, and I think that could be a fun series. But your description of the Clippers is so perfect that uh, they, don't, they don't get easy points. It's so frustrating. And that's with Paul George shooting out of his mind. It's with Kawhi looking like a cyborg out there. And even still, it seems so hard. Well, it's just tough, you know, like because they're very dependent on their three-point shot, on their jump shooting. You know, Paul George complaining at the end of the Brooklyn game that he only got one free throw. Like, I hear you. I, I understand. But also, you're a very much a jump shooting team, you, you know, and that you don't go to the free throw line that much when that's the case. Sure. And, and, and it just that's a problem. And it's it's so tough, you know, in, in that scenario, in the half court offense of like, where's our offense going to come from? How are we going to build, you know, a, a, a system out of it? And this is something, you know, they were I mean, before the season, Paul George was criticizing Doc Rivers about how he used them and things like that. But it's I haven't seen that much of a difference with him in the Clippers. It's just he's shooting the ball 
unbelievably well. And <laughs> so it's just better and more fluid. So I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how it'll play out for them, but they got to find Alex, they got to find a way to get easy baskets. Otherwise this is going to be a problem. Well, the other day we were on clubhouse and we were doing a uh, conversation on there and there were some Clipper fans in uh, clips who actually, he hosts a podcast on our network, the follow through clips and drew. He's a big Clipper fan used to be a ball boy for them. He was saying George Hill could be an interesting addition for them. Now I know there's probably going to be a number of teams making that call and trying to check in about George Hill just because, you know, teams know he's available. If you probably just offer up a pick now, the Clippers, as far as their assets, I don't know off the top of my head exactly what they have to trade, but could George Hill be a solution for them potentially? Or I mean the other options potentially, I, I don't know if this is actually going to happen or if this ship has sailed, but someone like Darren Collison, who was talked about so much last year as a possibility for the Lakers, for the Clippers, you know, I don't know if teams have moved away from that just because he didn't choose to come out of retirement last year, but I think he would be perfect. Like, what are some options you think for this Clippers team as they look for that facilitator? Yeah, at the start of the year, I thought, you know, George Hill would be a really good fit for this team. He's kind of a, a good table center, a good ball mover, can shoot and things like that and continue to spread the floor. But I think you're right, Alex, in the sense of I don't know if they have the assets to get him. And it's going to, you know, I think he can get a first round pick. Now, one thing we should discuss, too, is that George Hill is out for the next few weeks with an injury. Um, so I think it's going to be uh, maybe maybe lowers the value and helps the Clippers to get him. True. But I don't know. Uh, if they can, because there's going to be a lot of teams vying for him. If if he show if he comes back healthy in time before the trade deadline, teams are going to make a run at him, and somebody would I got to think somebody will pony up a first round pick for him. I think the there's a lot of options in terms of guys out there. I just don't know if the Clippers have anything that can get them that guy. You know, the Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly are probably the two trade assets you have in terms of a player. You don't have the draft capital to trade it because Oklahoma city pretty much owns your entire first round for like the next seven years. <laughs> um, maybe it's six at this point. Uh, the, the guy I kind of think that would be really interesting for the Clippers. And again, I have no idea if they have any way of getting him is Lonzo ball. You know, I think it's a guy that can defend point of attack. He's solid defender can, can, can hold up, can obviously move the ball. The, the biggest issue is going to be his shooting. And, you know, can he knock down enough shots that you can continue to keep the floor spread? But he's the kind of guy that would help them get into offense, would help them get easy baskets. When these guys can leak out, he'll find them with those long passes. We see him do it in New Orleans. We saw him do it with the Lakers. So I think those that's an interesting guy there for them. You know, I'm, I'm sure the dream and the home run is, is Kyle Lowry, but I just no way I think they can make it work right. uh, in, in, in any way. So, um you know, it's either that or, or, or hoping they could find somebody in the bio market. And it's funny you brought up Darren Collison because I was randomly thinking about him the other day. I just don't think he's coming back. I think it's I think that ship sailed. If he didn't come back last season, I don't see him wanting to come back now, especially in the situation of a pandemic and everything right. going on. I don't I don't see that urge um, really there for him in that sense. And I, and, and I'm speaking out of turn, obviously it's not like I have conversations with Darren Collison and, and know what's going on, but I just don't foresee it happening at this point. 
Yeah, and the fact that, I mean, we're not hearing any rumors or rumblings. Like, clearly, it seems like teams have moved on. His camp's not putting out anything out there to try to drum up interest. So, yeah, it does seem like that ship has sailed. But I was thinking about the other day, I was like, man, you know, this time last year, we were all talking about him as kind of coming in and being the guy. Uh, but, yeah, I think we've kind of – I think teams have moved on. He showed on. up at a Laker game, and everybody right. thought it was a done deal. Yeah, he showed up at a Laker game. We all were like, oh, he's – He's going to sign with the Lakers. You Whenever know? Eric Pincus was on my podcast, he had, uh, he had said that kind of frustrated the Lakers. Like he, I guess, I guess they felt like that, uh, him showing up at the game and kind of getting the fans excited and not coming to join them. It, it kind of felt like a slap in the face and uh, a public humiliation more so than just, you know, bailing on a negotiation behind the scenes. So he, apparently there were some people in the Laker, Laker organization that weren't too happy about that. But yeah, I mean, I, I was just curious. I don't know what he's up to, but I, th- I think he's probably just hanging out with his family and enjoying retirement. But yeah, that was an name that just popped in my head. Um, just a few more things then we'll get you out of here. Who are some rookies that have impressed you when you look around the league? Uh, guys that you're higher on than maybe others or um, just that you're, you're enjoying watching? Yeah, I mean, listen, you don't like basketball if you don't enjoy watching LaMelo ball. Like, so much come fun. on, every time, every time he has the ball in his hands, you're just like, I want to see what he does next, you know, and it, it's one of those things. And, and and so he brings a lot of excitement to it. I mean, hell, it, in their loss against Philly, it was kind of funny. And Beach trying to dribble out the clock, you know, and, and he just snuck up behind him, stole the ball and knocked down a three. And it's still a close game in that situation. You know, I kind of I kind of like that his passing is his connection with bridges has been uh miles bridges has been really impressive you know they're they're finding he's finding him a bunch for some big time dunks and a lot of fun highlights so you know i think he's he's a lot of fun i don't i think he's he's better than people thought but i don't know how good he is he has issues defensively and all that stuff and that's nerdy mo kind of poking in there and being like (laughs) don't have too much fun with it but um he's fun to watch you know the the it's funny this whole draft class was really maligned as being you know not a very good one but they've got some interesting guys in there i mean anthony edwards has done pretty well in minnesota you know it's not probably not the level of a number one pick but i don't think anybody that's playing was like man this is a surefire number one pick he's done all right he's playing well playing hard i like the way he's progressing james wiseman unfortunately he's out with an injury for a little bit but showing that he's got some potential to really kind of be a, a a solid big in the NBA. I don't want to go too high and say, you know, high level, you know, whatever, all-star or whatnot, because I think we do that too much and put too much on these kids too early. Um, and then I'm really impressed with Tyrese Halliburton and his his comfort level and and just his poise is pretty impressive. I mean, when you watch the game against Boston, you know, he makes a really smart play by fouling Grant Williams when they were up three and Williams is inside the paint. I think, you know, he just has a really good head for the game and things like that, and has come up for some big plays for Sacramento. I know a lot of teams are kind of kicking themselves a little bit for letting the kid slip all the way to uh, 11 or 12, wherever he fell. But I think those are the kind of guys in the the rookie class that I'm like, you know, I, I enjoy watching. Yeah, no, I have LaMelo and Tyrese in my fantasy basketball league. So I've been loving it. It's been so much fun. Uh, but yeah, LaMelo, LaMelo is fun too, because I feel like he's like a puppy. Like he's always just out there, like so excited, just bouncing around and happy. And, uh, you know, like there's, I saw a clip of their day where he was like talking to the ref and just like laughing. And the, and the ref was even just like, man, this guy has just, he's a lot, so much energy and uh, excitement. Um, but he, I mean, he's like a kid out there, just super excited. Yeah. And it has been, it has been fun watching him with Miles Bridges. I mean, some of the dunks that they've been able to connect 
connect on. I've been have been crazy. Yeah, if you told me a year ago I'd be watching this much Charlotte Hornets basketball, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> That's nuts. That's the other thing too. And and, and we got to give a shout out to James Borrego. He's done a great job as a coach for this team. Yeah, you know he gets the most out of these guys. You know the fact that they're kind of in the playoff race right now is pretty impressive. You know nobody I think had that going into the season. And, you know, they got killed for the Gordon Hayward signing yep. you know, and made fun of a ton. I'm sure I made a few jokes, um, you know, and, and all this stuff. But they're but they're but they're rolling and they got a good thing going right now. And it's and it's fun to watch. And last question for you, just around the NBA. Again, you watch so much film. You're, you're watching teams all the time. Who are just some guys, non rookies, just veterans, anyone that you have your eye on that you're higher on in the consensus guys that you're like, that's my guy. I'm planting my flag uh, on their development or guys like that, that you're, that you're pretty high on. God, that's a hard question, Alex, because it's on the spot and I don't have anybody in my head that I'm just straight ready to roll. But like, it's been a fun season. Like, just look at the Knicks. Look at what Julius Randle is doing with the Knicks, you know, and, and how hard he's playing and, and playing under Tibbs and things like that. I think RJ Barrett's having a pretty good season and it's, and it's fun to watch, you know, him kind of blossom. I, I don't have a particular guy. Unfortunately, I'm not giving you a great answer in terms of like who I'm watching and stuff, but it is fun to watch guys like Shea Gilgis Alexander grow, you know, like, you know, his and their win against Phoenix. It was fun watching him make reads off the pick and roll and, and making the correct ones over and over again in crunch time and him doing it against basically his mentor, Chris Paul was like a fun little element to it. Uh, overall, man, I just love the league, Alex. Like the here's the thing I always tell people: the NBA is in such great shape, you know, with all of our talent across the league. That like, I could pop on any game, and there's going to be a couple of guys in there where I'm like, yeah, I'm excited to watch these guys. You know, uh, when you flip on Detroit, you know, you're look at what Jeremy Grant's doing. You know, I didn't think he had this in him the way he's playing. He's leading the team and scoring and things. Granted, they're not winning games, but that's because they're rest of the roster has issues but you i think across the board we we just got great talent around the league and it's fun and you know you look at what san antonio quietly just humming along the way san antonio always does and 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 winning games but doing it in a way that we haven't ever really seen this team is one of the teams leading in in fast break points they're pushing the ball more their young core is is balling and at the same time you have demar Derozan and Lark, lamarcus aldridge playing veterans and and helping guide everybody it's it's just been a fun league is everybody when you give me the question it's everybody well mo i appreciate your time i could pick your brain for hours and just talk hoops with you so thank you so much for doing this man thank you so much oh no thank you for having me man i appreciate it Absolutely. Everyone, make sure you're following Mo at MoDekeel underscore NBA. He does a fantastic job. Also, check out his great work at Bleacher Report and The Athletic. And if you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thanks for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Greensupply.com. With everything going on in the world, it's more important than ever to stay safe. At Greensupply.com, you can purchase masks, hand sanitizer, and other important health and wellness products, which are all in stock with same-day shipping. Best of all, listeners get 10% off their order when you use the promo code ALEX at checkout. That's A-L-E-X for 10% off your order. They have KN95 masks, cloth masks, hand sanitizer, and other supplies like forehead thermometers and UV boxes. Visit Greensupply.com. Com today. That's greensupply.com.